On this International Women's Day, I started off by giving a shout out to my mom, who I grew up with watching broadcast, and I followed in her footsteps. So she's always been an inspiration to me. Let me know who inspired you. That's our question for tonight. If you'd like to give someone a shout out, I'll do that for you. Let me know why. 877-399-9898. That's 877-399-9898. Let me know who you are and where you are, and I'll read those out when possible through the show. Well, then there were two. A new contender joined the Conservative Party of Canada leadership race today. Lawyer Leslyn Lewis finished third last time out. She's back in this time. Here's how she launched her campaign on social media today. Canadians are desperate for hope and are calling for unity. People on all sides of the debate need compassion and understanding. Like it or not, the Prime Minister needs to take responsibility for his failed leadership. Leslin Lewis becomes the second candidate to enter the race after Pierre Polyev, uh, who has the backing of about a third of the Conservative caucus, according to reports, including former leader Andrew Scheer and others such as former cabinet minister and MP John Baird. We're awaiting former Quebec premier and PC leader Jean Charest. He's expected to enter the race on Thursday. Well, one name that had been talked about quite a bit over the last little while as a potential candidate was longtime conservative commentator Tasha Carradine. Last night, though, she announced that she would not indeed or not, in fact, go ahead with that bid instead backing Jean Charest. We wanted to find out more. Tasha Carradine joins me now. Thank you so much for being here tonight, Tasha. Oh, my pleasure, Ben. Thank you. I know this is International Women's Day. I was talking about my mom. I was just, we kind of grew up at the same time in the same neighborhoods in the same city, Montreal. You went to Prébeuf, I went to Notre Dame for a while. Who, was, who inspired <laughs> you when you were growing up? Who is, who is someone who, who you think of? Um, well, you know what, politically, there's a few people who inspired me. I say politically, my inspiration would have been Margaret Thatcher, um, a very strong woman and someone who was very principled, um, you know, at the end I think her, her stubbornness maybe defeated her, uh, led to her political downfall. But, you know, every politician has a downfall eventually. So while she was in power, though, she she did great things for Britain. Uh, they were painful things, but she was very steadfast. And so I greatly admire her and her tenacity. I think on a personal level, um, I certainly admire my mother as well. She went through a very difficult childhood. She grew up as a child during World War II um, in Germany, and her father refused to join the Nazi party. He was a, an objector to that, and so the family was basically ostracized. They had nothing. Um, they were starving. They took American soldiers into their basement and hid them that were dropping into the fields with parachutes. And, like, she's told me these stories. It was, it was just quite incredible. Wow. Um, yeah, so she had a really tough life, and yet she came to Canada with nothing, and she made a great life for herself. She went to university. You know, uh, when she was older and got two degrees and is an amazing woman. She's 84 and she's in better shape than me. So, you know, hats off, Mom. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing that, Tasha. I appreciate it. Um, well, you know, Margaret Thatcher used to, used to say about her, the woman's, or she said about herself, the woman's not for turning. Um, yes. What made you decide? I, I know that you were, con- I you were contemplating. I turned. She turned. I <laughs> know uh, you didn't. Uh, I wasn't going to say that you turned. But, you know, these must be very difficult decisions um, when you look at what could be or what it may entail to have to enter a political leadership race like that. What ultimately sort of made the decision for you to to maybe step back and, and support Joshua instead? Well, it was a, it was a process of the, the actual process of deciding uh, whether to run or not took about four weeks. And I spoke to hundreds of Canadians during that time from coast to coast. Um, and that included people in the party, organizers, uh, members, uh, caucus members. 
And also people outside the party who contacted me and were saying, you know, I will join the party again if you run. I would really like to see it go to a more big tent party. I think you could do that. It was it was really a lot, an overwhelming experience to have people come to you like this and you feel really, you know, you have a duty to, 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 to do something. And so I took this very seriously. Throughout this process, I was also talking to other candidates, including I talked to Jean Charest, and it became obvious by, you know, uh, Sunday, you know, our team, we, we talked about this, we, we met and looked at where we were at, and we had an amazing team, we have people across the country, we would have been ready to go, but we were basically fishing in the same pond as Jean Charest for, uh, for support, and we were also saying the same things. We, our vision was so close, and it, it just did not make sense despite this Herculean battle, because leadership is, you know, it's not, it's not a little thing. This is a six month affair. Um, it's an incredibly, you know, difficult and dreaming experience. I know with some people who've done it, I've been involved in leadership, not as a candidate, but on, um, you know, the campaign side and battling Jean Charest when we both have the same objective of building the big tent party didn't make sense because I really, I really believe we have to have one if we're going to win the next election. And so, um, you know, at that point, a uh, discussion was had with them, the team, and they reached out to Mr. Charest's team, and then he called me and he said, "Look, I'm we'd be really delighted if you if you did join us and um, contribute to our our efforts." And I said, "Yeah, I'm 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 a team player. I'm game for that. So let's do it." And uh, so this is the second time I've worked for him in a leadership like worked as a volunteer, but um, I'm I'm very excited actually to to be doing it. I was going to ask you about Jean Charest a bit, but I'm curious to know what you heard when you were reaching out, talking to conservatives across the country or those who aren't with the party, but potentially could be. What were you hearing from people? What do they want to see in the next conservative leader? They, well, they, what they wanted to see, um, people who were, who were talking to me in particular, wanted to see a big tent party. They didn't want to see what they had seen, quite frankly, in the last few weeks in Ottawa with the convoy. There was a lot of negative response to that. A lot of people who said that the party is losing its way. This is not what we're about. We're a party that respects personal responsibility, um, law and order, what's going on. It was, you know, some people were were incredibly concerned. And I was too. And that's one of the reasons I, I also was, you know, considering running was just a feeling of we've got to do something like this just can't this is not what the party is about. And, you know, I understand there were people at those protests who had legitimate, you know, grievances that they, they had felt the pandemic had, had upended their lives and they'd lost their businesses. But, you know, after the first weekend, those people mostly went home and the people that were left, there was a hardcore, you know, element of disruptive element, as well as people who are just hanging on and doing strange things like having hot tub parties in the middle of Wellington street. I mean, this was not, you know, uh, we were the laughing stock of the world, quite frankly. And even worse than that, it was a security issue um, being so close to Parliament. But in any case, people were concerned about that. But they were also concerned um, that the party itself, having lost three elections, can't afford to lose another one. That was a big thing I heard as well, is that we have to win. And so people were saying to me, you know, you're a winnable candidate. Those same people, though, it's interesting. We have people who are, I, I say, like, they like both Sheree and myself. We heard that a lot, too. A lot of people said to me, you know, in fact, some that would say, well, you know, I, I'm going to be loyal to Josh Ray. I really like you. I'm going to help you a bit, too. Um, or people would say, I really like you, but I'm also going to, like, help Josh Ray. Like, it was, it was an interesting, you know, we were clearly two candidates of the same stripe in people's minds. And they wanted to see someone who could bring people together. And they thought both of us could do that. So there's an appetite for that. It's, um, it's a very clear appetite out there of what I will call homeless conservatives, people who feel that they really want to be having a home and they want to rebuild the big tent party. So 
I'm encouraged by that because I think that would be a winning formula. How, though, do you unite a party where clearly there is a significant portion of the party who sees Pierre Polyev or, or his message and um, likes what they hear? They want They like that sort of anti-Trudeau attack, um, populism. It appeals. Uh, how, do, how do you unite a party when there is that section of it that seems to be they were unhappy with, clearly unhappy with Aaron O'Toole's shift to the big tent? Uh, how, how do you unite that party? Well, I think that there's an element of anger and of grievance of loss of, I think, a loss of, um, of social mobility. And I'll explain what I mean by that. I think there's a sense in the West in particular that the economy, the oil patch has been demonized. Um, not just by the current government, but also successively by environmental activists and others who basically dump on fossil fuels and say, you know, we got to get rid of them. We got to phase them out. There's this feeling that in, in the West that, this, you know, people are, they're under attack, literally. Their way of life is under attack. And so when your way of life is under attack, you feel you have no prospects. You feel like you can't, you can't climb the ladder of success. You're, you're being, um, you know, people are, are against you. And people are against you, you respond very often with anger, with, you know, let's, well, to hell with them kind of thing. And that attitude, and I think that's what you saw in the trucker protests. I really, the pandemic was part of it. The vaccine mandates were maybe a trigger. Um, but honestly, that grievance has been building for years. And that anger, that sense of alienation is very, very real. And it's got to be addressed. And I think that's, I, I suspect, I mean, I didn't plan to, you know, to be in Calgary on Thursday. I personally am not, but that Sean Charest is. I think that one of the reasons is because he knows, too, that there's got to be, uh, you know, the the, um, the hand has to be held out to say, hey, we're all one country. Um, and we cannot let that, just like we didn't let Quebec separatism break up the country, we cannot let Western separatism break up the country. We have to address that feeling. And I think if you talk to people as people and you say, look, we hear you, we understand you're upset, but there's a better way to deal with this. And, you know, like Brian Mulroney wanted to bring Quebec into the Constitution with honor and enthusiasm. I remember those words. We didn't really get the constitutional reform we wanted, but he tried. He did give it the best try. And I think that's what we need to do for the West as well and say, look, we hear you, but there's a better way than to just get angry and protest and fight against Trudeau. Frankly, Ben, I don't even think Trudeau is going to be there for the next election. I don't think we'll be fighting uh, him. So, and that, you know, I just, I'd like to see some up. positivity instead. I'm speaking with conservative columnist Tasha Carradin, um, who was considering a run for the leadership and last night announced that uh, she would not be doing that, instead backing uh, Jean Charette. Uh, right after this, I really wanted to ask you about the difference between owning the libs and beating the libs. And I think you've already uh, touched on it, but I, I think that's a fascinating subject. And, and whether or not this is still a party... Uh, I remember when the liberals were in were in the netherworlds during the times of Stéphane Dion and, and and Michael Ignatieff. Whether this is a party really still searching for its for its soul and its leader uh, that it hasn't really had since Stephen Harper. We'll be back after this. I'm speaking with Tasha Carradin, conservative columnist, who last night announced or yesterday rather announced that she would not be seeking the conservative party leadership, instead backing Jean Charest. Um, we, Tasha, already this is starting to look like a fairly nasty campaign early on. Is that cause for concern? I know Don Martin, who I always read and respect, wrote something about, you know, the, the one thing the liberals would love to see is the conservatives sort of tear each other apart for the next six mm. months. Um, sure. Is there any fears of that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there is actually, and I think that it is something that um, campaigns would be wise to avoid um, because it's going to turn off exactly what the conservatives need to expand, which is 
an increased base. Uh, people think that you're just a bunch of nasty people fighting and a lot of infighting is going on. Why would you, why would you want to join a club that's like that? And a political party essentially is a club. It is a family. It is an organization where people have social bonds as well as working for a common cause in the election of the party. So if you think you're joining people who really aren't, aren't very nice to be with, you're not going to want it. You're going to think this is also immature. You're not ready to be government if you can't even govern yourself. So I think some of the nasty stuff, um, you know, it might, it might, a tweet might, uh, might get a lot of likes or, or retweets and people might think, oh, well, that means our candidate will do better because now, look, we're getting all this attention, but it's negative attention. And it's in the long term, I think it's, it's negative for the party too. So I do hope the tone is elevated. I think, you know, Jean Schreib will elevate that tone. He is much more statesmanlike. He is not, um, you know, he's, he's not about the quick clip and that kind of thing. So I'm hoping that it'll be a bit more civil conversation that we'll have for the next six months. Tasha, one of my earliest memories of Jean Charest was when he was premier of Quebec. I remember, I don't know what I was doing, and we were in the same room. He was talking to students or something. And I have to be honest, he looked a bit bored. And I always got the idea that Jean Charest was a really, he was a really interesting guy. He's smart. He knows how to lead. But sometimes he just lacks the fire. And in this race, you feel like the one thing that Pierre Poliev has is a whole lot of fire. So I'm just wondering from that aspect, and it's, that's just a personal anecdote, it's not a political anecdote. I'm just picturing the bored student, the boring students and the bored, maybe maybe you guys were boring, but no, honestly, you should yeah. have shown interest regardless. Could well, it, quite clearly, it could have been boring for him, but it was just one of those things. I thought, man, he looks bored. Well, I, you know, I think I've seen Joshua with a fire, so I've I've not seen him actually look bored. Um, I've seen him the opposite when he was in the 95 referendum. I've seen him during his leadership in 93, you know, when Kim Campbell famously said, you're a hell of a tortoise, Jean, because it was the tortoise and the hair <laughs> analogy. Right. Um, and, you know, he's always had quite a bit of fire and revved up crowds very well. And I think that's one of the, one of the reasons he's got quite a bit of support in this race already is that people remember that he's a really good campaigner. And, so I, I'm hoping he won't look bored. I'm hoping that he will find that fire and, and bring it out. We'll see on Thursday. Um, he's going to be talking to people in Calgary. And I understand it's going to be a pretty good crowd. There's a lot of momentum building for it. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, that's not the story I know. So I, I think I'm confident yeah. that he will bring that game back to this race. This, this may have been something that, you know, those of us who watched him during the referendum campaign remembered that fire. Once he became premier of Quebec, he sort of, you know, I guess it, anyway, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I guess the big question now, though, is what are some of the issues you think the Conservative Party, A, has to improve on for all Canadians, but also has to moderate or not moderate, but at least find consensus on within the party? I mean, I, I can obviously think of carbon taxes and climate change, but there's mm -hmm. obviously going to have to be some sort of bridging of the divides that makes both sides of these arguments happy. Yeah, I think, I think that um, there's, there are divides, there's traditional divides on social issues. Um, that is something Stephen Harper managed very well. Um, you know, social conservatives are an important part of the conservative party. They, there have always been, there's always been a, a religious streak of through conservatism since its early days. I mean, Edmund Burke wrote about the pillars of conservatism and faith was one of them back in 1789. And, you know, we're hundreds of years later, but it hasn't really changed all that much. Conservatism is much about tradition and tradition, of course, includes um, belief. It includes faith communities. Um, so I think you're always going to see some of that. The question is, though, society does change as well and mores change. And 
we are at a point now where both abortion and uh, gay marriage, for example, or same-sex marriage are settled law. Uh, the conservatives will be wise not to reopen those debates. And Stephen Harper didn't do that. He, he kept, you know, he, he basically kept that um, to the side and said, we're going to do things on other things like, you know, the Office for Religious Freedom promotion abroad and, and other stuff. So the social conservatives did still feel included and see some of their issues addressed, but those ones were, you know, were not, they, that box was just not open. Um, so I think that, that on that divide, that is, I think, a way to uh, to sort of bridge that that divide there. I think the other divide, though, the environment one, is a very big piece because it's, it's much bigger than just the environment. Um, I think in Canada, we really have to look at the intersection between the economy, energy, and the environment. And the uh, you know the environmental piece can actually be solved in part by development of energy resources that we have in places like the Ring of Fire in northern BC, in northern Alberta, too, there's even rare earths in Alberta, but there's critical minerals in large parts of our country, that if we use them, if we took them out of the ground, we could build electric vehicle batteries, we could use them to power, there's also green hydrogen that Canada could be producing. These kinds of fuels will power the next generation of energy. And that's something I know Mr. Sheree is interested in. Um, That's something Doug Ford is interested in in Ontario, he talks about it. Developing those resources is, is a key to unlocking energy of the future. It also kind of balances out the carbon piece because if Canada is producing carbon on the one hand, but it's also producing carbon reduction technology and and uh, critical minerals on the other hand, we're actually in that way helping reduce our carbon footprint. So I think that it's it's a way to square the circle. And it also involves Indigenous people because the mining industry in Canada is the biggest employer of Indigenous people in the country. There are about 500 uh, relationships and and contracts and agreements between Indigenous communities and First Nations and mining companies. And it is a way that um, Indigenous communities can make the most of their resources they have. They can uh, improve their economic prospects, give jobs to people, create jobs, create wealth. It is also a way of unlocking that prosperity and helping Indigenous people feel like they actually have control over their own economic future. So I think it's a win-win for everyone. And that kind of big picture stuff is, I think, what we need to talk about in this campaign. I know Mr. Sheree has views on it, too, in terms of the big picture of the North and North in Quebec. He'd already talked about that when he was in office in Quebec. So I'm confident that 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 dialogue will be had. And I think the Conservatives could come up with some really interesting stuff on that. Tasha Carradine, I'm sure this will be continued. Thank you so much for your time tonight. And thank you for telling me about your mom on on International Women's (laughs) Day. That was great. Have a great night. You're welcome. Thank you, Ben. Have a good night. 911.